0: Hey, frazzled friends, welcome to another episode of Le Vital Course Salon. And if you're new to stopping by the salon, I am your host and cellionaire, Kara Martin Snyder. I just want to give you a quick warning that sometimes we cuss on this show. You know, not to just go crazy and swear for the sake of swearing, but when two women get together and have a conversation, sometimes the language gets a little potty mouth when we get going. So, if you have little ones or virgin ears around you of any sorts, now's probably a good time to grab some headphones. And if you're a type A, an imposter, a recovering perfectionist, or an over-scheduling addict, you are in the exact right place. My job, which I take really seriously, is to introduce you to women out in the world doing all sorts of cool stuff, making things, creating things. Just being awesome, but most importantly, not letting bullshit or burnout slow them down. And today's guest, Lori Ostrovsky, is no exception. Lori is the chief hugger and coach over at Simply Leap, and she works with women, helping them get out of their own way and figure out what they want to be doing in their life. So Lori and I have a lot of common intersects, which you'll hear when we talk today. And as part of the work that she does, she works with women in small groups and one-on-one. She's a speaker and spoken, I'm pretty sure, all over the world at this point. And she's published two books. One is a memoir called I'm Scared and Doing It Anyway. And we're going to touch on a lot of the stuff that she talks about in that book especially. I'm so taken with her story and her resilience. So I won't give it away. You can hear it in the interview. But we're going to talk a lot about that point in her life. And she also wrote a book called Simply Leap, Seven Lessons on Facing Fear and Enjoying the Crap Out of Your Life. So you can probably tell from that title, Lori is our kind of people. This is going to be an interview of contradictions in a way, in all the best ways, actually, Lori's going to help us understand how we can be both serious and silly at the same time, and also structured and scared at the same time. I think there's this notion that we have to be fearless, and I don't think we're ever without fear. It's just kind of what we choose to do with it, and Lori and I are going to talk a lot about that. I want to give Scott Tillett of Beehive in Beacon, New York, which is this super cool co-working space that invited me to come do a craft working session right around the time I was moving here. I had, I had reached out to Scott initially, and he was down with the idea and made me feel welcome in the Hudson Valley before Craig and I actually moved here. So I'm deeply appreciative to Scott for that, but also for introducing me to Lori. And when I read his initial email, I was so excited and knew I wanted to know more about what Lori was up to, And it's just been awesome. So I can't thank Scott enough. And if you're in the Hudson Valley, do check out what Beehive is doing. They're growing and they've got vibrant community, all sorts of events in the space. So give them a shout out. Okay, okay. When I start thanking someone, I can get going and have trouble stopping. And I'm just really chatty today. I... Made a hot chocolate earlier with some maca and some coconut milk, and I'm feeling a little bit cranked. So yeah, it's that kind of day. And you know, it's it's almost Halloween. I can't believe this. And I mean, this is a time of year that starts going off the rails for a lot of people. I mean, everyone starts getting high on pumpkin spice latte in, in September, and then it moves to candy on Halloween, it's sort of like the gateway drugs. And then it just moves to what my friend Brendan always calls his 3C holiday diet, which is the cake, champagne, and cheese diet, where you're just going from holiday party to holiday party and having all crap food sitting around the office or a friend's house or your house and just devouring that stuff. So I want to... Put that out there and let you know that life could be different. And I know everyone's used to going totally bananas and being completely overwhelmed and exhausted and feeling nutritionally bankrupt during the holidays, but it doesn't have to be that way. You actually can still maintain some of those foundational health habits, things like your diet and sleep and exercise and stress management while still having an active and vibrant social life and if that is challenging to you or you are deeply curious about having the holidays be different then definitely you and I should talk we should set up a time to hop on the phone and see what it would take to have you stay a little bit more pinned down and not feel like you got hit by a Mack truck by the time January 2nd rolls around Head over to VitalCore, C-O-R-P-S, wellness.com, and you can, one, start by signing up for the newsletter where I'm twice a month pushing out all sorts of ways to keep your shit together, and especially during the holidays because it's super important, and now's your chance to set it up different this year. And also, besides the newsletter, you can actually set up a call with me, so I invite anyone who's thinking about having life be different this year and not having the holidays feel like you crash and burn, you can start by going to work with me on the same website and clicking on Smart Start. That's usually the first place I start and if you have any questions, there's a link at the bottom of that page that we can just set up a time to talk and see if what I do is a match for what you need so you can be more successful this holiday season. All right, frazzled friends, I know you're here for the main event, the interview with Lori. So let's cut over to the interview. Voila, Lori. Hey, Lori, welcome to Le Vital Core Salon. How are you? Hey, Kara, thanks
1: for having me. I'm great.
0: Lori, we have so much to talk about today. You realize that, right? Yeah. <laughs> so i I want to share something with you because I don't I don't know if I told you this when we when we first met. When Scott Tillett from Beehive introduced us via email, I took a look at your website and your story, and I was literally vibrating like my tail was wagging. I was like, I want to know this woman. And I think what stuck out to me the most was we were good girls, right? Like we were, we both did all the so-called quote-unquote right things, but then hit a point in our 20s and wondered, is this it? And I feel like I'm not even totally sure where to begin. So maybe we could start with what were you doing at that point in your life and Maybe then take us through what unfolded when you started to question things and make some moves. Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: so um, I was – so I'll take you first back to third grade because I feel like that says a lot about who I am and who the people are that I resonate with and and, um, work with. So in third grade, I was your – very typical a student i loved third grade because um i knew what was expected of me i knew that there was a structure and a hierarchy and that if i did um all of these right things that i would get an a or um you know um get to the head of the class and have the teacher smile at me which was like the pat on the back um that I had always been looking for. So that was kind of me even into through my college years and into um, early adult years. I was like that third grader who valued structure and accountability and kind of knowing what she needed to do to impress the people who, who mattered, uh, who I deemed mattered, whether my parents, my boss, my teachers, uh, whoever I kind of put on that pedestal. So I had pretty well survived and thrived within that kind of structured environment through school and college and early part of my um, work years in my 20s, um, climbing the corporate ladder um, in uh, mainly in New York City, and I kind of started to realize like in my mid 20s, you know, climbing, climbing has a limitation, you can't just climb. For the sake of climbing, like this was new, a new thought to me in my mid-20s. Like it isn't just worthwhile to climb. You kind of have to like what you're doing. And that started to worry me. Like, okay, well, so if this isn't what I want to do, what is it that I want to do? And I wasn't sure and I wasn't sure. And then I was kind of in that limbo period. Um, at 28, I had uh, gotten engaged and I was a junior executive at a PR agency in the city and, and doing pretty well for myself Had, you know, had my investment accounts and made my family happy and uh, was going on business trips across the country and, and actually into Europe as well. And I um, had a uh, what I thought was an ear infection. And my, uh, my doctor said, hey, you know, we, we can't see if there's anything wrong in your in your ear when we look inside, so let's just get an MRI to make sure everything is okay, and it wasn't okay. Um, so at 28, I found myself in a doctor's office with you know a relative stranger staring at an MRI uh, that had this white like circle, you know, uh, blob in the middle of uh, of the MRI scan of my brain, and it was a brain tumor. And I had excelled as the A student in the health world as well, like getting six month dental checkups and um, you know, all of that, like always doing the right thing, eating my Checking vegetables. the boxes. Yeah, and, and it really like, it took me a few minutes to be like, you can't be serious because I've done all the right things and I'm totally healthy and I, I check all the boxes. And so it really was a reckoning in a, in a way.
0: I just picture you, Lori, in this moment, like, sort of looking at the MRI and looking at a doctor and, like, looking at the MRI and looking <laughs> at the doctor. And, and, you know, to your point, like, are you kidding me? Like, is this for real? Is this real life?
1: Yeah. yeah. That Yeah. And, it you know, it it took me a while. There were definitely, well, you know, and and there are the stages of grief, right? And one of them is the whatever denial or disbelief. (laughs) I definitely went through every stage within a five-minute period of time in that doctor's office and cycled through them for the next few months, for sure. How
0: could you not, right? Like, this was (laughs) such a dramatic wake-up call in your life. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah.
0: And so what, you leave the doctor's office, and what, what happens?
1: Number one, I hide under the covers. Actually, no. The first, <laughs> there is definitely, so, I've, uh, so I have a, I, my first book is about this experience and what happened in the doctor's office and the, the choices that I made as a result. And one of the things that I talk about in that book is that it's okay to have a pity party to throw yourself the biggest pity party and stay under the covers for as long as possible because you can be brave and you can do all the right things and you can research whatever you need to research, but it is first and foremost, you can you can really be bummed out and depressed and sad and crying and whatever else you need to do. And I, um, when I get scared or uncomfortable or mad or frustrated, my choice is always hide under my covers in my bed. Like, that is the thing. So I definitely did that. What was more interesting, um, probably about that moment, was the same day that I had a doctor's appointment, I actually had another appointment on my calendar. It was a Monday in, um, in January 2004. And the, um, the other appointment I had that Monday was with my boss because I had spent the weekend prior figuring out my finances because I was going to quit I was going to quit my job that day and and figure out what I was supposed to do next because I knew it wasn't this job and I knew it wasn't this career path and I didn't know what but I had I had figured out I had six months of um, that I could float myself for six months on my finances and then figure it out and if I had to go back to PR and marketing I totally could but I needed to like give myself the space to figure it out and luckily I had the doctor's appointment first. And my appointment with my boss is second because, of course, in the cab back, you know, across town in Manhattan in a cab, I canceled my afternoon appointment. And because I needed health insurance, (laughs) right? Like, because I needed to, like, okay, everything that I thought that I had planned, everything that I thought I had control of, um, was thrown out the window. And I think, um it just dissolved in front of you yeah. Right? yeah it totally did totally did and I think that was one of the biggest shocks it was like wait I don't have control of the world of, of my world like that, that actually was the biggest thing that stayed with me throughout the process was like how little control uh, we really have and how much I convinced myself I had control even from third grade
0: yes Yes, and that is something that I think a lot of people listening in this tribe are going to resonate with. And I think it's something that when I'm working with clients one-on-one, when I introduce the idea that we have control of pretty much absolutely nothing except our reaction to things, yep. it's, it sort of boggles the mind and throws a lot of the type A's that I hang out with like completely off their game as well.
1: And and most of us reach a point, I mean, uh, you know, in our lives, if we're, if we're lucky, we get to do it later. Uh, but at some point in our lives, something happens, whether it's divorce or losing a job or something medical or losing a family member, that shakes us to our core and makes us learn that lesson, that hard lesson of how little we have control and what we do really have control over. Um, because there's a lot, there are a lot of choices we still get to make, but it's it's less the ones you think <laughs> you have a control over.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, we've talked about this when we've met up. I mean, for me, it was IBS. And, you know, I was IBSD all the way. And so, you know, here I was doing all the right things at work and working hard and getting the bonuses and being a highly chargeable associate. And all mm-hmm. of these things, but behind the scenes, you know, I had had two very public accidents where I literally, like, shit my pants in public, once on a plane and once locked out of my office building late at night right on Broadway. Um And so, yeah, there's nothing. And it's it's funny, for me, right, like, the way the message was packaged, where it was... Me, who was always, I mean, I've always talked about, like, get your shit together. I've got to get my shit Mm -hmm. together. Like, that's always been my rhetoric. So it was really funny that the universe sort of packaged up this gift and was like, I've got the exact form to give her this lesson in. (laughs) And it's it's this. Because I literally did not have control of my actual bowel movements, (laughs) which, Mm -hmm. you know, the universe has a sense of humor, I think, as well. (laughs)
1: yeah well put well put and it's interesting the way you say the package that it's given to you is is how if you know if you're a universe believer um like many of us are then yeah then and and so as you were saying that it was making me kind of think about well you know why was this packaged in the way that it was for me um and you know kind of similar to you it was it was packaged because that was it would force me to listen and force me to to let go and force me to depend on other people and open up emotionally in a way that I wouldn't have let myself prior to this.
0: Can you tell me more about that? Because I think what I see in my world and you probably see in yours as well is when women are stressed, when life gets messy, when life gets painful, maybe it's just the the, the demographic that I work with but i I see women really pull back and isolate.
1: What's been your experience? I would say it as uh, you know similarly to you, but I guess I would use the word vulnerability like that there's this line um, and you know by all means, Brene Brown has all the answers for this, but how I would talk about it is that there's the line between um, as you put it, get our shit together, you know, like to, to have everything under control from the outside to see, seem like we got it all together. We, we are put together and we know what we're doing and that that's important to have that external, um, package that people can, uh, can see us as like, we're all together and there's like nothing falling apart, right? Like that, that's part of that a student from way back is, is the external, um, like view of us and then there's um, when big stuff happens you know when the shit really hits the fan it's like you're you know it gets it gets um, muddy and vulnerable and it's really hard to keep it all together and um, once once that seal is broken really awful and wonderful things happen sometimes at the same time. So like <laughs> we become more of ourself, we give less of a shit of what other people think about. We realize that our vulnerability is sometimes our greatest strength and that the people in our lives can love us more, can accept us more, can help us more um, when we let them. And being vulnerable lets us let them. Yes.
0: It opens us up to receiving more.
1: Yeah, yeah. And seeing that there's so much to receive. Yes. So
0: true. So Lori, I feel like there's a million lessons and and things that we can talk about, but maybe going back chronologically and then we can start yeah, sure. to pull pull out the lessons from it. You're in your bed. You're throwing yourself one <laughs> hell of a pity party.
1: <laughs> That's right.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I just picture you like in in sort of a movie like fashion, sort of folding the covers back and sitting up and like, okay, I've got to deal with this. What yeah. What did that moment look like for you?
1: Yeah. So, um, so the A student kicked in again, right? Because this is how I know how to survive, uh, especially back then. It's like, okay, so. What are the things I can control? Um, and so, what I decided um, going into this was uh, very luckily, my tumor, my tumor was the size of a golf ball, so it's like a really good size for hanging out in your brain, um, and it was kind of big enough where it was starting to move stuff out of the way. And um, but it had grown really slowly. They think that the tumor I may have had for about five years before it was discovered, so it wasn't discovered until it started. Um, uh, hitting the hearing nerve in my right ear. Um, and it sounded like some of my hearing started going, which is why I went to the doctor, which is why we did the MRI. So it had been there for a while. And luckily I didn't have to get a surgery like right away. It wasn't like I was rushed to the hospital the next day. So I actually had a couple months. Uh, so this is January, 2004. So I had, four months, uh, so my first surgery was, in, was at the end of April, 2004. And in those four months, I threw quite a few pity parties. I did every alternative medicine thing I could think of. I went to acupuncture, my chiropractor, I was changing my diet, I um, was visualizing, I was researching all of the options that did not involve surgery, And I was also like, as it became clear that uh, none of those were going to work and I was still going to have to have surgery anyway, I then went to, all right, if I can't control that, then I'm going to control how it happens, which is I'm going to find the best doctor in New York. And luckily I had some wonderful help from friends and and colleagues who pointed me in the right direction to a doctor that I could really trust. Um, And two, I... And decided that I was going to make the best of it, meaning I was going to be the happiest, most cheerful, most party-ish person, um, meaning like turn the pity party into an actual um, confetti filled enjoyment of, of this process. So for instance, before, like the week before the surgery, I bought, um, convalescing clothes because I figured lots of people would want to come and visit me, you know, like while I was home <laughs> and, you, and so I was like, all right, well, damn it. You outfits. want it to look good. <laughs> right. So I bought these pajamas with, um, with little frogs on them. They're like pink pajamas with little frogs. And I, I bought like a, a JLo worthy, um, like, like sweatsuit. And, um, you know, cause I was like, all right, well, so I'm going to have these things and I'm going to think about, you know, I, I, got some books together and some magazines and um set up my space for uh for what it was going to be like when I came home because it's like all right these are the things I have to choose and then I decided like the day of um as I was going to the hospital I was like as soon as I got there I was like okay I am nervous when am I getting drugs <laughs> you know so <laughs> So almost immediately, I think I, they had changed, I had changed into, you know, it was like 5am, you know, when they have you come in for this kind of surgery, um, in the city. And I had just changed into that awful hospital gown and I went to the first nurse I saw and she was like, okay, your, um, anesthetician is right here. And he shook my hand and he pointed at the pocket of his, his medical gown. And he's like, you see this syringe? This has got your name on it. <laughs> <So he's> like, <laughs> as soon as we sit you down, you're getting this. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm not a, a drug taker normally, but like I realized like, okay, this is again the only thing I have control of in an uncontrollable situation. So this is what I'm gonna do. Um and so I kept looking for opportunities within this situation that I could use to my best advantage or make the best of or find the most comfort in or, or whatever, you know, to, to make it better than, than how hard it was.
0: Got it. And I, I deeply love how you got yourself like totally set up for the after. It's like, okay, what I'm hearing is this like long descent into acceptance, right? Like I'm going to throw everything at not having to have the surgery. Okay. That doesn't work. Next, I'm going to throw everything I've got at making myself comfortable in this process and figuring out how to best have fun in this situation.
1: Um, no, and the the biggest thing there is and I totally didn't have control of that either. Like, you know, it was like the A student was just desperately looking for things that she could still control and each and each stage of it was like, no, you don't got that either. Cuz you know what? <laughs> <laughs> couldn't read a goddamn thing getting out of surgery. Like, I couldn't read. I was sleeping all the time. I lost all this weight. So, I, like, I had these great clothes, but I was, like, swimming in them. I, you know, people came to visit, but, like, I could barely talk to them. You know, it's like, like, um, and I was just worried about them arriving and, like, oh, my God, they're seeing me look like this. And, you know, so there was a little bit of that, but mostly, like, I'm so tired. I can't even think about it. So, like, at each stage, it was like, let's control this. Oh, no. I can't control this either. All right. Yeah, like this, this did no. not, this is, is not going as planned. <laughs> no, no. And then, you know, the, um, again, I, I talk in my book. So I, I wake up out of this uh, 10 plus hour surgery. Um, and the first thing the doctor does is um, kind of, you know, so I wake up and I'm looking at all these people um, standing above me and the doctor leans down um, and like whispers into both ears because they had they had tried to keep um, the hearing nerve in my right ear so I could I could still hear and so he was kind of checking that and then he leaned into what became my good ear and said good news we got 60 percent of the tumor and so the moment I'm out of surgery I re- or the moment I'm awake I realized fuck I have to do this again <sighs> like what I was so good. I, I did everything again. And it's like, oh, my God, I have to do this again. And so 30 days later, I was back in that stupid hospital. And, and it is so hard. It is so much harder. Oh, the you second time. Is everything okay when you got to go back? And then, and then I thought I'd really made it after surgery, two, And five days later, I was back in the hospital again because I had contracted meningitis. And so I had made it out of the hospital. I had like, okay, we really did it this time. And then I got worse sick than I could ever imagine, the worst pain in my entire life. And I'm then back in the hospital for 11 days in a row, like after this third surgery. And um, it was like, okay, you needed to learn the lesson a couple more times. Um, like it really sucks. And it is okay. So that's another lesson I I learned. It's okay. It's not just okay to have that pity party, but it is okay to say it sucks. When things suck, no matter what's happening, if it sucks, it's okay to say so. It's okay to wallow in it and wallow in it longer than you would normally let yourself because I wasn't letting myself before then. But then it was like, I am going to cry in every doctor's office. (laughs) You know, like I... (laughs) (laughs) have <laughs> never done that, and I'm like, now it really sucks all the time, and uh, and I just I was inconsolable for a while, um, and I mean and rightfully so, rightfully so. I can I can say that now, um, but I I you know I kept having to, or or for whatever reason it kept getting worse for a while, and I felt like oh my god, it might never get better, and and I think that's when the real vulnerability. Came And when I could just feel whatever I felt in whatever moment, there was so much, um, allowing in me. It's like, I have, it's, it's, we were talking about this before. Like, I feel like I had broken the seal finally after this entire period, this, this, you know, multiple months, almost a month in the hospital, um, multiple surgeries, like getting to the point where it's like, I could go to a movie and cry at it. I could cry at Hallmark card, um, you know, commercials. I had never done any of that before. I could cry over a card that I got in the mail. I um, held on to people in a different way. I appreciated people who really, really, really showed up and was surprised and delighted by them. And I could celebrate things because I have since loved the spring because that year I didn't get to experience the spring. I was pretty much um in the hospital like from, you know, kind of early early spring to summer. And and it was like so so from that year on and I swear to you even now, whatever, you know, 12 15 years later and I uh I still whenever the first buds on trees come out, it is like the biggest celebration because I get to see them. And so it is, I really got down to the smallest, smallest things are worthy of celebration. And I can just be appreciative of the fact that I'm here. These things exist. That's all there is. Uh, we don't have control over a lot of things. And what we do have control over is, as you said before, how how we respond to them. Yes, yes.
0: And it's interesting, you're talking about how these small things are worthy of celebration. And I feel like there's so much out there right now in terms of people talking about gratitude and gratitude practices. And you can look at Pinterest and there's like 18 ways to make a jar to put your gratitude slips in and, you know, 900 pre-printed journals for how you can recognize gratitude in your day. What did it look like for you? Because there's there's being grateful when it's convenient, like when things are going well and we're like, okay, I'm going to make time for being grateful now because I have the time but it's it was sounds like it was such a critical piece in your journey. What did that look like?
1: The way i I look at it is that I had the opportunity as an adult to be a toddler again um, with all of the awareness of an adult, but all of the simplicity of a child. So I was you know my only job for the the couple months that I was out on leave was to get better. And so if I could walk, um, you know, a 10th of a mile, if I could be outside and and walk for like 10 minutes, that was so huge. I was telling anybody who would listen to me like how much further I'd walk today than yesterday. And I was learning all over again. Oh my God, I wrote so terribly. I was uh, It was really hard to write right after the surgery. I think from all of the pinpricks and and things like that, it was hard to hold a pen. So, so writing, which would normally have been, you know, like I have a million journals, so normally would have been an outlet wasn't right away. And so, you know, as I got better with that, I was celebrating and it was, it was really like learning everything all over again. Um, and, yeah, like having all the adult faculties to appreciate the fact that oh wow, this is what toddlers go through when everything is is a new discovery. Like everything is different. Then uh each day is different and and everything's a new thing we've never done before. Um and there's a real beauty in that. I there was so much appreciation in having the ability to see life from a new uh, a sparkly new vantage point. Um, yeah, I think gratitude was really easy at that point because when the alternative is being in the hospital, hooked up to machines, and having them draw blood at 3 a.m., like pretty much anything is is worthy of a party.
0: <laughs> yes, and and the wonder of the simple things is just an amazing practice. But you had this, this experience where you could compare it to these sort of really awful things like, Hey, being able to hold a pen and write my name is way cooler than a blood draw at 3am.
1: Yeah. 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 And I, you know, I recognize, so I want to be sensitive to your, to your listeners that, you know, luckily not all of us go through being in the hospital and and i hope most of you don't have that experience but you know so so i do get the question of yeah but you know i i haven't had a brain tumor and so you know your story is so different than what i'm going through and and the truth is that i i feel like there's a lot that's universal about um things that we think we have control over in our lives and what we don't really have control over that things surprise us that the path we think we're on takes a turn and we've got to deal with it that uh we've got to find joy in the smallest things because sometimes things really suck um and they seem like they're going to keep sucking for a while um and it seems like it's a longer period of time than it really is you know so there. are it absolutely, there are universal aspects to this. And I also recognize that um, when something is really, 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 really scary, like the scariest thing you can possibly imagine, the things that used to be scary, like, like quitting your job, or moving or changing your career, suddenly, like when I was feeling better, it was like, I could do any of that so much easier than I could before I had had something really awful to compare it to.
0: Yes, there is a profound gift in these experiences, and I, I think you're totally right about it being universal in, in terms of, like, let me give you an example, because um, I feel like I'm struggling with how to say this. So I lost my dad to cancer at age 26. Yeah, I think I, I was 26 at the time. And it was interesting because, as I remember, even at the calling hours and the funeral and people checking in on me, like, after the fact, you know, everyone was expressing, like, you know, we're so sorry, like, he was so young, you know, you're so young to be without a dad, like, all of these things. And to me, in my really, like, pragmatic mind, I was like, we're all going to have this moment. I mean, everyone who has a parent is going to face this mm-hmm. moment. I just happen to be closer to the front of the line on 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 this life lesson and this point. And I think I think you're right. Whether it's a brain tumor, whether it's losing a parent, I think all of us face these moments in life to derive a lesson from it. And I you know, I think to your point about, like, how do you compare being overwhelmed and stressed out with a brain tumor? Like, we all have these moments. And if we haven't, sorry, listeners, I, I don't want to rattle you too much, but, like, you're probably going to have one of these moments. You just haven't experienced it yet. And they, they can be the most profoundly scary, messy, terror-filled moments, but they can also be the hugest gifts,
1: Yeah. And so I want to also say that you get to decide. This is one thing you do have control over. You get to decide what that gift is and when it appears to be a gift, Um, because I thought you were going to go somewhere else. And I'm so sorry about your dad, um, but I thought you were going to go to the crappy things that people say to you to you when you're going through something, because can we just have an, a quick aside on yes. the <laughs> shitty things that people will tell you to make themselves feel better that aren't about you at all? Um, and so, yeah, I would get, I actually got in an argument with my boss in front of a client in a meeting. Because right before my first surgery, we were trying to explain to the client that I was going to be out for a while, and but it, they were going to be taken care of and blah, blah, blah. And my boss said, oh, but don't worry, Lori's going to be fine. And I was like, you don't know that? My doctor doesn't even know I'm going to be fine. We're going to have to wait and see. And, and like so many people said, oh, but you'll be fine. And it started to really piss me off. Um, so <laughs> I, I felt like, you know... Stop saying things to make yourself feel better. Like you want to believe that I'll be fine, but nobody knows that. And it's not comforting to me. Um, And I can only imagine what else you heard um, during the calling hours uh, because it's shitty. (laughs) And sometimes people who haven't gone through something or are so uncomfortable with vulnerability they will create ways where they don't have to deal with their own vulnerability, let alone your vulnerability. And so ugh.
0: I yeah. Just <laughs> no, it's any of those situations, and I feel like Lori and anyone listening who's like given us a right on in this moment, I did a podcast with Nicole Barcelona, and she had a stillborn baby. And Talked about just, I I think she described herself, if I can remember the exact words, as the scary witch lady in the corner where everyone, in that particular instance, it had even transcended people's ability to talk. Like people, Mm -hmm. not only was she hearing these like really terrible and like non-comforting things. But some people were actually just, like, so petrified to even talk to her and say the wrong thing or that they were going to somehow get sad cooties off of her that they just, like, stood, like, in the other side of the room kind of, like, looking at her and, you know, probably talking to themselves and looking at her again. And it was yeah. just this, like, weird bubble. So we talk a lot about it in that in that episode. But I I totally feel you. Like you know as you were saying that all i could think was it must have been really exhausting having to hold that really big heavy mirror up for people
1: you know yeah, to, to I mean, yeah, bounce their
0: reflections off of
1: yeah it's only now that i'm realizing you know that i think it's only after you get out of it that you can really do that cuz you know what you're i mean you're in your own stuff i was definitely like i was just trying to get through the day um at that point it wasn't until after that i could my ability to defend myself was, you know, that kind of energy was being used to heal myself. So there were definitely some things at the time that I didn't have the ability to to really care for myself the way I needed to and, like, to tell those people to go away, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, I didn't have that. Like, I luckily, I had a couple people in my life who, who could help me with that, but, but really it was you know, there were, there were moments where, um, my, my parents were not the best in this situation. Um, I think cause, uh, they were freaking out. Um, their, you know, their only daughter was in the hospital and, um, they thought they were going to lose me. And so they, they really shut down. And, uh, but when they would come and visit me in the hospital, I would put on a smile it, from the, okay. I don't know what it looked like, For those looking at me in the hospital bed, but from inside the hospital bed, you could have thought that I was hosting a dinner party at my apartment because I would smile at them. I would sit up straight. I would ask them how they are. I would ask them if they needed water. Like, cause I was gonna be able to get out of a hospital bed in the ICU and get them a glass of water, but (laughs) I just so wanted them to be okay because that was my role already in my life, was taking care of the people in my life, including my parents. And I, I attempted to find any of the energy to do that, even while being depleted. So um, yeah, so anyway, yeah, that's, I, I totally get it. So
0: what you just said is fabulously interesting. In terms of you were the caregiver. You were the caretaker for the people in your life. When and how did that flip for you?
1: Well, I am a coach, so I don't know if I've it's flipped, um, but I think um, I think one the moment that I became aware of it. So there's this. Um, I blogged about it once. I did not put it in my book, um, but there was this moment in the hospital when. Um, so, so after all three of the surgeries, I ended up in the ICU, which is, which was actually, uh, very specific. I was, I was in a hospital that had a neuro ICU. So all of the patients in that, uh, area had, had either spinal or brain, um, surgeries. Uh, so it was very specialized. And so I was always put back in there after surgeries. And then after a few days you would get put on the normal floor with like people who had had their appendix out. Um, and, uh, and then you would, you know, then you'd have a roommate and then you would, um, be discharged a few days after that. And, uh, one of the times my mom came to visit me, um, I was still in the ICU. It must've been after the third surgery. And she said, um, and the, and the, uh, nurse had come in while she was there and, and the nurse had said, Oh, you know, good news. You're. You're doing pretty well. We'll probably move you down to the, the regular ward um, probably later today or in the morning. And my mom takes one look at me and she's like, Lori, you don't want to go to the normal ward. Like, it is so much safer here. You're you're better taken care of. Like, you you really don't want to go to the normal ward. And when she left, let's say an hour later, my heart rate went up so high. They had to bring in... Um, a heart specialist and doing e- multiple EKGs because they were worried that I had a blood clot because my heart rate had gone up so high. And it wasn't a blood clot. It was my mom. <laughs> so <laughs> it was my mom telling me and, and you know, because our family like gets in deep, right? Like we have yes. no control over them. Like we do have control of other people and the messages we get from other people. Our family has like, oh, the direct... The direct line to, uh, to to our our hearts. Yeah, (laughs) sure. And so I, you know, it was, it was that moment when I realized how much, how hard I was working for the people in my life and, um, how, how much it affected me. So like in that vulnerable place, in that toddler moment of my life, um, I could realize like, oh my God, this is probably happening all the time. But because I don't have any of the buffers that I would normally have when I'm healthy and well, I get to actually see what this shit does to me. And once you see it, it's like, okay, when you go back into normal life, I'm I'm now more sensitive to it. It's like, all right, well, how am I taking care of people? Do I really need to? Are they allowing me to take care of them because it's easier on them? And um, what other choices do I have?
0: Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. And I don't know if this is a related question. And if you can't answer it, I totally get it. But the question that comes to mind when you share all that is, there's taking care of people, because it is a truly selfless act. And then there's taking care of people. The word manipulation feels too heavy, and, and the connotation is too dark. But I think it it. I think what you're talking about, and maybe you can clarify, is it sounds like you figured out and got really clean about giving love in that way. Like, caring for other people. Like, is it about them or is it about me? Would you say that's a fair statement?
1: Yeah, it's interesting the way you put that. Um Yeah, I think... Uh, there's recognizing what I really like to give and what feels fulfilling for me and what is um, draining. You know, we talk about energy vampires. And, uh, you know, mom may be one. She's probably not listening. So that's okay. I can tell you that. Um, But uh, yeah, you know, you recognizing people who are just, you know, kind of sapping energy from you versus people who um, appreciate what you have to give and in their appreciation, fill you back up. You know, there's this like, yeah, it's, it doesn't leave you depleted when you're with the right people doing the things, giving in the way, um, that, that just, that feels good. And that, and that definitely, um, I see where this is, this question is going. It, It definitely led me to a lot of the other choices that I made out of the tumor experience,
0: Got it. Got it. Yeah. And I think it's also born of, I hear this a lot. Like a lot of the women that I work with, as you and I have talked about, and we'll we'll talk about your work as well. They often don't reach out to me until they're totally burnt out. And the common thing that I didn't see it for years, and it's only been in the last year or two, you know, like what do all my clients have in common? And there was this notion that, okay, so they were burnt out, they were frazzled, they were beginning to feel symptomatic, but maybe not totally sick yet, so doctors were just kind of dismissing it. And the thing that sort of links a lot of them together is they're often women who have a lot of people depending on them. They're the doers. They're the ones that get stuff done. They're the ones that make sure everybody else is taken care of. I mean, I had a client years ago talk about her her burnt pork chop theory, where, like, you know, she remembered a moment where even as a kid, you know, like, if her mom put out, like, a platter of, like, pork chops for dinner, she would immediately, like, gravitate to the one that was, like, burnt or maybe a little tough looking or or the smallest one so nobody else would have to eat that one. Like, I'm just going to throw yeah. myself on that pork chop grenade.
1: <laughs> oh my God, she and I could be friends. I totally get that.
0: <laughs> so yeah, I, I think it's it's born from that. So I give you that context and I guess ask the question, because this is something that comes up really, really frequently with the, with the clients that I work with and a lot of the women that I talk to and the types of conversations that just kind of naturally find their way to me. Like what can be mine from this about preserving your energy and and making sure you know where those boundaries are?
1: Well, the nice thing about not having any energy is that you realize it because you're because I was forced into making some hard choices around around what I could actually put my energy in. I would say ever since then, right, like being well, and I, I should probably tell your listeners that I'm okay now. Yes, um, please. <laughs> but you no, know, I, you know, now that I'm, I'm well, I have to make the choices that anybody else does. And, and unfortunately, as time goes by, the the tumor doesn't have um, as big of a, that talking about it in this instance, you know, in these kinds of, of conversations is a good reminder for me of like, okay, you already learned this lesson, you don't have to learn it again. Uh, but, you know, in the normal day, you kind of I still have to make the same choice as anybody else does about where I put my energy. Um, and um, I think it just gets easier and easier when it's um, I, I think we're reminded every day sometimes about, like, do I have to eat the the burnt pork chop again? Like, seriously, <laughs> like, I think that there are smaller things that that remind us, like, really, e- you know, you already learned this lesson you're already past it. You're already better than this. Like you deserve the, the perfect pork chop. Um, and you're the only one who gets to give you that pork chop. You can't wait for somebody else to give it to you. Because us A students, we've been waiting. We've been waiting since third grade. And you learn the lesson at some point that like you're the one. You're the one who gives you the pork chop or the, the gold star or the pat on the back, or the, the time off, the vacation that you've been wanting, or the massage, or you get to take a nap in the middle of the afternoon, like you're the one that gets to decide that. And um, then, then things open up. Like when we realize that we're the ones holding the cards of taking care of ourselves and being nice to ourselves and giving ourselves credit, it really, it really opens itself up. And how simple it can be. Like, I was listening to that
0: list of things that you were describing. Everything on that list is something you don't need to earn brain cancer or shit in your pants with IBSD to be able to give yourself a 15 minute nap in the middle of the day because you just really need it that day. You know, or all those, or going for the massage or all of those things. It's all totally doable. Obviously, a brain tumor freed you up in this really big and powerful way. What advice would you have for women who, I guess if I could crunch down what you just said, are waiting for others to deem them worthy in
1: some way? Gosh, um, it seems too simple to say that 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 choice is in your hands because I don't think I would have listened to that. Um, I think I still would have been, I mean, heck, I still go to my dentist looking for him to praise me on flossing my teeth. Um, yeah, I feel you on that. that Yeah. It was like, oh my God, I love going to the dentist. I mean, how many people really say that? Um, people who like to hear that they've been flossing. Um, so yeah. Um, gosh. I don't even I don't even know what to say. I mean, sometimes I write it down. Like you deserve it. Actually, you know, if you if you follow anything that I put on Instagram or my blog post or anything, I am on repeat about how much you deserve because I think I'm telling myself the same thing and reminding myself that um, that all of the rules that I've that I've held on to because like rules are so good um I are really arbitrary like you really can eat past seven o'clock at night I mean seriously I've had <laughs> dinner I like only one time in my life had I ha- have I had dinner at like 10 p.m and I really thought that I was doing something terrible and I had to remind myself that I was an adult and and could have dinner at 10, or I could have breakfast for dinner or, you know, that kind of thing. like, I just, I guess it's surround yourself and surround ourselves with reminders that we get to make this life that life is so short. And um, there are so many things that will complicate life and will divert us on our path and um, happen in a split second as sad and unfortunate as that that means. Um, and that is that, you know, have the chocolate chip cookie, you deserve it. You deserve it in every moment. And the more, especially as women, we believe that we deserve whatever it is that we want, um, the happier we are. And honestly, the better we are with the people in our lives. Like, um, so I work, I work a lot of with women similar to you and, um, yeah, I, I would say my, my clients tend to be kind of lighthearted, like enjoying their lives, being silly and serious at the same time. They like dance parties in their kitchen and, and glitter and uh, ridiculous things to giggle about. And also, you know, shit hits the fan and work gets hard and their boss is a jerk and they know they could be doing more of their lives than they are and they're scared to Step outside their comfort zone and maybe disappoint someone. Uh, maybe disappoint someone <laughs> that they care about and respect. And and knowing there's the there's the the more you believe that you deserve this great life that and you deserve to eat dinner at ten o'clock or have that chocolate chip cookie the the better the deserve muscle works in your in your body in your life, the easier it is to go after the career that you really want, the vacation that you really want, um, the dream home that you want, the ability to move cross country, you know, like those decisions get easier, the the deserving muscle, the more developed that deserving muscle is.
0: Part of me, as I was listening to what you were saying, I was thinking, where was Lori when I was like 27 or 28 and like you know I was I was a CPA so we are a completely risk averse kind of crowd by nature but I'm this weirdly like I was a rule follower to a point and then it was mostly like I studied the rules so I knew exactly which ones to break and or how (laughs) I was breaking them. (laughs) Like as I, you know, by like junior high, high school, it was like, wait a minute, if I know these rules really well and I follow them 95% of the time, I can really tip them like that other 5% upside down whenever I need to and it's convenient. Um, So I, a little bit different from the normal rule followers that you work with now, but I think it's, it's so interesting How hard that we have to work as women to remind ourselves that we are worthy and that we deserve the life that we want to live. Like, I mean, you can go to the front page of my website at any given moment and it's, you know, it says, I'm here to remind you that you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. And then the next sentence underneath that is, yes, I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to someone else. Because there's that, I don't know if you see this in, in your conversations, I imagine you do, where we're talking to women, women like you and I, who are like, yeah, you can have a life that doesn't suck. Like, really, that is an option. That is a viable, doable, figure outable, realistic option. But it falls on deaf ears a lot of the time. What helps you get through to women?
1: So there's this moment um, in the hospital, and I, I really promise I, I talk less about my brain tumor than I have with you. <laughs> so We haven't even <laughs> talked about hugs yet. but I know. What I'll, say, what I'll say is that um, wait for it, everybody. Um, so in the hospital, uh, I had this moment that really changed everything. So there was the like the suckage of everything that we've talked about in terms of, you know kind of you know, everything that kind of went wrong uh, that could go wrong, went wrong, um, in the hospital. But there was this moment where, uh, where I was in the hospital and something changed, um, really powerfully. And I got the message that, um, that we are sit, we are each sitting on a lot of power. So despite our entire conversation about how much you really don't have control over, We're in control of something that makes us all uncomfortable, which is your mind is so powerful. What you put your attention on and uh, what you believe is possible dramatically affects what happens next. And I learned that in such a major way uh, sitting in the ICU hospital one day. And in that moment, I I will say that I was hallucinating because I had meningitis and my brain had swelled. But despite that, um, what I kind of realized in that moment, as, as I kind of turned a corner and started healing in that moment and recognized that I was healing in that moment, I realized if I could affect this kind of physical change in my most weakened state uh, in, in this bed, that what was possible in every area of my life. In every other area of my life, if I could affect this change physically here, that means that I could affect the same kind of change in any other part of my life that I wanted. And what's more, that all of us are sitting on the power to change our lives based on how what we think is possible and the choices that we make around that. And that was the moment I decided to be a coach, and that was the moment that I decided... um that one of my purposes for being here uh, and still being here is to remind people of the power that they're sitting on um, and that life gets to be more amazing than we can, uh, we can ever imagine it to be that it will continue to surprise us in delightful ways. And we need to, we need to really choose to think as positively and openly as possible um, and stay open to serendipity and magic and possibility and potential and choose those people in our lives that that speak that language back to us and make choices that keep opening doors in front of us um, because that is what we have control over that is the power that we have that is in our hands um, as much as we don't control the rest of it this is the this is the stuff we have control over so yeah that's That's the mantra that I go back to. And every conversation like the one that we're having right now is a reminder to me, oh, right. How else can I choose that powerfully today? So
0: let's talk about that for a second, Lori, because I think you're right. Like, there are these huge lessons that we get in life. And you had this epiphany. Like, here's your brain ready to, like, swell out of your ears at this point. And you have this moment of complete and utter, maybe hallucinatory, but clarity nonetheless, Mm -hmm. that you have the power of choice. You can create your life. Like you can be, you might not have control of all the aspects of it or what's happening around it, but you have this choice and, and this ability to be intentional with every decision. How do you, besides these conversations, stay pinned to that?
1: I see how it's true every day. I see how... So I have this thing... Okay, so even in little ways, this works. Okay, so I have this thing about not wanting to buy new pens. I really... like. Tell me more about this, (laughs) because I
0: love buying pens.
1: What? Okay, so... Well, because I never know what kind of pen to buy. I haven't found, like, the pen. Some people have, like, the pen and the brand that they have. So, like, I haven't found that yet. And I'm not willing to buy a bunch of pens to figure it out. So anyway, so whenever a pen is about to die, I say, I wonder where the next pen is that's going to find its way to me. And lo and behold, within the next couple days, I will be given a pen at an event I, someone will leave a pen after we've met. Um, I will be gifted a pen. I've had a couple friends who like whittle wood and <laughs> gave me this like pen fashioned out of wood that they made, you know, like I like randomly. Actually, I was on a first date and a guy gave me a pen that he had whittled out of wood and I was like, okay, well, so that's the answer. So there are little things aspects of your life that like, there are little signs that can happen every day to remind you or that remind me. Um, yep. You get to set an intention and pens can show up. Guess what else can show up money. I had this one mantra once where I get paid for taking naps. And so like every weekday working for yourself from home, this is how that works. Every day uh, during the week, I would, uh, for a period of time, I would take a nap in the afternoon. And actually, it was kind of cool. A good number of those days, like my PayPal notification would go off or I'd get a, you know, something, an email notification that said, hey, a client just paid you today. Um, And (laughs) I'd be like, see? I totally got support from the universe or whatever to like take take naps and take care of myself. So, you know what? There are signs all the time if you look for them.
0: Yes. So, it sounds like for people listening who are hearing how you listen for and witness these small signs on the regular, how can they start doing it? Like is there a question they can ask themselves? Is there an an, an action that they can kind of take. Does
1: that question make sense, Lori? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, and I think that's why I use the pen example because I would pick something small. I would pick something like, cause you know, if you pick something big with like, I wanna meet the man of my dreams tomorrow, um, <laughs> you know, you know, I mean it could happen, yeah. but it's putting a lot of pressure on things. Um, and so that's why I really like pens pick something small and see what happens. Or I would uh, normally with my clients, I'll ask something like what signal or what sign have you gotten in the last 24 hours that says how much power you have or uh, what has shown up to prove to you that what you think or desire uh, or hope for is totally possible. Um, the, the great thing about being a coach is that you get to ask these questions even though you have no idea what your clients are going to say in response. Yes and, and sometimes lo- there are behold- tears in those moments. <laughs> and lo and behold they always come up with an answer like oh well as a matter of fact you know my friend I was just thinking about my friend yesterday morning and then she called me an hour later. Um, oh you know I was late for that meeting and then every light Changed the moment I got to the, to every light, and then I wasn't late anymore. There are signs all the time, if we look for them. So, so the question that I pose is usually around what if, what signs am I already seeing, or what signs do I want to see, in order to know that I'm on the right track, that I do have power in a in a powerless situation. That um, yeah, to keep keep me on this track.
0: Yes, yes. I I think that's really helpful because I think sometimes people hear the conversation like we're having and think, oh, that's too woo-woo for me. But I think the evidence is already there. And like, you know, I have a husband who's not very woo-woo at all. And yet, he has this magic ability to, like, manifest a parking spot in at at any given moment. And we go in and out of the city a lot and street park in the city and all over the place. And it's really funny to see it in action. Like, so I think it's important sometimes in these conversations to help the women who may not be as in touch with their intuition or be able to witness it, like, in a way that comes so naturally for women like you and I if that makes sense. Yeah. So that is, super yeah. Helpful. And I,
1: you know, that, that wasn't a comfortable place for me. Like woo woo was not a, you know, a comfortable place for me for a really long time. Um, I feel like I could translate it really well. Cause like my, my life was in corporate America. It's still, I'm comfortable working with women who own businesses and talking about marketing and things like that. Cause these are controllable things and I know how to pre- present myself in those kind of environments. Um, that said, you know, you have a few of these these major things happen and then you realize like, all right, there's a lot of stuff, you know, faith, faith exists. Um, serendipity exists. And life is way more interesting and fun when, when you believe that some kind of magical serendipity is also possible in addition to the things that you can have control over.
0: Yes. I think being open to that kind of magic and serendipity is something that also requires us to manage our own energy. Would you agree?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, um, being open to magic and serendipity is the, the same, I don't know. What is it? The flip side of the same coin or whatever of, of, um, letting go of what you can control and noticing what you really have power over. Um, uh, letting go of control of of certain areas of our life is also opening yourself up to serendipity. I don't really need to know how this pen is going to show up, but isn't it so awesome when it does? I mean, seriously, I I get pretty excited when someone gives me a pen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we need to set up a PO box for you now, that like everyone in the world
1: can just deliver pens oh my to you. <laughs> That would be so great. So I had this thing about socks, too. And seriously, people give me socks all the time, and I don't know why. Um, but yeah, I'd love to add the pens. Yeah, if anyone wants to send me a pen, I would totally take it, especially if it has like unicorns and glitter on it.
0: <laughs>
1: Amazing.
0: <laughs> Careful what you manifest for. I'm just picturing them now. <laughs> yes.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yes. Let, let's have a follow-up episode or, or kind of photo montage of like me opening my mailbox.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. This sounds amazing. And Lori, talk about how you, how you manage your energy. Like how you take care of yourself to keep yourself in a state of being able to witness this kind of serendipity and
1: magic. Wow, energy is such a great topic. Um, so I'm an introvert. And whenever I give um, a speech um, actually there's a good number of times in my blogs as well. I've talked about it. Um, and I'm pretty sure I'm, uh, if your listeners know this, a highly sensitive person. So, um, light and sound and, and energy in a room, all of that affects me pretty, uh, pretty strongly. So I was convinced, uh, fairly early on in the business world that to be successful, I had to muster all of the energy within my body and throw it out into the room. Um, and that was the only way to be heard and seen uh, and to be successful. And it sometimes I forget and do that still, uh, but it's also uh, recognizing that uh, I am an introvert and that a clock is ticking from the moment I start talking or the moment I'm in a room or on stage or in an interview or whatever, uh, when I'm out in the world, a clock is ticking. And at some point, and, and I'm getting better at recognizing when that point is, I am going to shut down. And I'm gonna either shut down in a very not pretty way where I I will be unable to speak anymore and I'm gonna have to go hide in a corner or like leave immediately without saying goodbye to people, or <laughs> I'm, um, I'm going to recognize the signs when the battery's low, make my exit before anyone else has actually left, and you know be able to say goodbye to people. So I think it's just recognizing um, kind of the limited nature of, of my ability, taking advantage of it, and also uh, building in time before and after conversations to. Um, re-energize myself, be alone, be in bed. I, I, you know, one of the threads in this conversation is Lori likes to be in bed, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So Lori likes pens and to hide in her bed. So, you know, kind of recognizing <laughs> that there are moments when uh, when I need to do that and, um, and being more okay with it. You know, it's also the thread of you deserve it, right? And, and I need it. Um, I am better uh, at doing everything that I do when I take the time that I need to take, um, it's also recognizing the where energy gets depleted. Like we've talked about, the energy vampires. I have gotten way better at um, recognizing. I can I can read an energy vampire across the room, and it used to be that I think the A student, the third grade A student, needed to prove that she could make it a, amongst everyone and and be liked by everybody and and make friends with everybody. And now it's like, I don't even look at the energy vampire. They can follow me around and I will just be, (laughs) oh, just conveniently too busy to talk to them or I'll shake their hands and then politely exit. And and not in a mean way, but just recognizing what is useful and and what allows me to be at my best and what gets in the way really quickly.
0: Wow, amazing lessons. The question I want to ask is, really understanding how does that inform sort of the whole structure of how you designed work for yourself? Can you talk a little bit about that? Like the work that you're doing and then how you're managing your energy?
1: Sure. Beyond just speaking, Uh,
0: because we know you speak, we know you've written two books.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I coach from my home over the phone. I have had clients ask, you know, can we meet in person or can we do this over Skype? And what I say to them is, there are coaches who do that and do that really well, and I'm, I'm just not your coach. So I know that when I'm on the phone with clients and I don't have to focus on anything else except for the sound that's coming in um, through the phone, I get to hear what's said and what's not being said. I think one of my skills is hearing what's not said but what's felt, the pauses in your, um, in your words, the intonation, yeah, that there's a lot that I can read if, if all I'm doing is listening. And so that's knowing that that is a skill of mine, I, I, that's what I'm offering my clients. And so I've gotten really clear about clients that appreciate that and probably are introverted too, and just wanna be on the phone and be hiding somewhere. Um, we, you know, we kind of, we kind of really get each other in that way. So yeah, so I, I just want to make sure everyone knows, like, there's like, kind of the closeted introvert, like never going out again, but I'm not that person. I, you know, I am out in the world, and I will hug you and talk to you in, in public. And, um, and I recognize that, you know, when I coach, like, this is, um, this is really how I work best. So I structure my day around, Probably kind of about four of those calls in a day um, at most uh, with clients and then some writing time, recognizing that I need to end and begin the day in the most quiet way possible. So I have these, um, there are these magical earplugs called, yes, I can only hear in one ear and I still wear earplugs, but um, so I, am, <laughs> there's this magical earplug called Max's Wax. And you can get it at a, a, uh, you know, a supermarket or a a drugstore. And there are, like, these wax balls that you can use, like, when you're swimming or whatever. But, like, you can use them when you're sleeping, like I do. And it basically blocks out everything. And so if I'm not... Yeah, yeah. So amazing, except if you sleep next to someone and they, like like, try to, you know, tap you to wake up, you're you think that there's like a five five alarm fire, because you're like, Oh, my God, there's someone else in this world. And I have like, I've hit people in the middle of the night, I've, like screamed, because I'm like, I sometimes can forget that other things exist, because I'm so in this cone of silence. But it's so awesome. It is so awesome. So I wear those earplugs, pretty much from like, when I'm getting into bed at night, I'm going to do some reading or journaling or something right before bed to the first call I have. So you and I are speaking like right after I took out my earplug because it's so beautiful because my thoughts can be in there. my Because um, I, I think, you know, there are enough writers in your in your listening world. I'm sure they understand, you know, I kind of have to be in my head for a while for the words to make sense so I can express them. And so knowing that I'm a writer and also, uh, and also a coach and a speaker, it's like, I've, I've got to give myself enough space to do that. And the earplugs are like permission to do that. Whoa, this
0: is such a unique bit of self care. I've never heard anyone doing this. And I love that you've so creatively and wonderfully and masterfully created this for yourself. Thanks. How cool. <laughs> it might be annoying
1: to some people, but yeah, I really like it.
0: <laughs> well, there's a small part of me that thinks if I put these in, I'm prone to, to jump. Like I'm very focused on what I'm doing when I'm doing something, whether that's, you know, running the blender or cooking something or reading something or whatever. So I'm prone that I don't hear people sneak up on me. And they they might not even be sneaking. They might be like stomping their way at me, but I'm just so in the groove. I feel like wearing these earplugs would sort of, I'd be prone to having like about three heart attacks a day.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I had a few in the beginning and then I realized like, then you get used to, all right, who else is in the house? Okay, so there's this, you know, the person that I'm with, you know, uh, right now I'm living with my dad. So it's like, all right, my dad's in the room, that's fine. There's a cat, okay, that's fine. And so I'm getting a little less surprised. I can still get surprised. But like, even when I'm blow drying my hair and the earplugs aren't in, it's like I can still get surprised if someone knocks on the door. So really, uh, it's a small price to pay. A heart attack is a small small price to pay when the rest is such peace.
0: Yes. And it almost sounds like you're giving yourself like a silent retreat on a day-to-day basis. It's so lovely. I'm so taken with this idea.
1: Yeah. So, you know, um, I'm not a big meditator, um, but I think it's because I've actually worked meditation into my life in a way that I wouldn't have called it meditation. Yes. Yes. So uh, for the listeners out there who aren't a big meditators either there, it can look another way. And I I just want to believe that that's true. As much as I love Buddhism (laughs) and and everything, it's like, I really don't want to sit on a mat. Like I take yoga classes and I love yoga, but it's like, uh, I don't know. Can't we meditate in other ways? And like walking meditation. And yes, that totally exists. And these earplugs, I'm going to count.
0: Yes. Absolutely. And I think what you're talking about really it again, I'm like wagging my tail. You can't see it. It's my invisible tail, but it's wagging. <laughs> it delights me to hear this because I think this is where this is that 5% of me and it's it's actually probably like 20% of me now that's like don't call it meditation then, right? Like you know, just recognizing and being really intentional With the solution for whatever is causing friction in your life, right? Like, I feel like I have these types of conversations all the time, especially with clients, you know, who bring me down into the weeds with them to kind of figure out, like, well, I want to be doing this, but here's this obstacle and this objection and this person I'm going to let down and all of these constraints between them and where they want to be. And... And, you know, a lot of times it's even just, like, negotiating a health habit or, like, a time Mm -hmm. to get to work or the daycare drop-off or things like that. And when you get into the weeds, there's all these constraints. And, you know, sometimes, like, the problem is, like, okay, well, it sounds like what you need is this. And then there's, like, this friction. You know, like, especially when someone's, like, really stressed out and they're like, you know, I keep reading about journaling and meditation. And, you know, I know I should be doing it. And I'm like... Don't do shitty stuff. Like let's yeah. let's back up. Like, what do you want to get out of it? Like, you're you keep thinking you should meditate, you know, as an example. But like, stop it. If that's not the form that makes sense to you, what's going to give you that same satisfaction? And just call it meditation. Call it walking meditation. Call it earplug meditation.
1: You know, like call it what you want. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We make all kinds of excuses why we can't do something or why it's hard or Why, you know, it's bad because it doesn't look like what everyone else is doing. I mean, I talk to a lot of business owners that are like, oh, my God, I should be on social media. Uh. But should you? (laughs) No, you don't don't need to be on social media to be successful. That said, I'm on social media a lot. But that's just me. Um, And you don't have to be because, you know what, the right clients find you by you doing the thing that comes naturally to you because it's likely that that's where your clients and customers are, too. Um, So... Yeah, I mean, as soon as we get over that, like we're just using those excuses and it's probably fear underneath it, fear of actually getting it right, fear of being successful. It is amazing. I'm just noticing in my own life how much fear of success really gets in my way way more than fear of getting it wrong.
0: Yes, because I imagine, and I know we're only hearing such a microcosm of the fabulous person you are. And I'm sure you could tell us stories for days, but I think like you've recognized, like you can come out of these dark places a winner. Like we don't get the lessons when it's, when we're just checking the box and following the rules. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I want to, uh want to add something to what you said it also doesn't have to be hard tough a mountain in order for you to learn a lesson and be incredibly successful so one of the you know so i i bristle against things like fearlessness or <laughs> yeah. hard work and hustle hard, hustle hard oh my gosh i really really get annoyed by those words um only because i feel like you can enjoy the crap out of your life which is by the way in you know in my second book it's like i'm talking about enjoying your life in cupcakes and dance parties and you can be incredibly successful there is a way to enjoy your life and learn lessons from things that work things that naturally come your way doors that open in front of you serendipity and magic all of that is possible too and if you are, you meaning in general, someone listening, are have this belief that the only way you succeed is by working hard, then congratulations, you're going to be working hard in order su- to succeed. But if you would like to have the uh, uh, an opportunity to arrive in your email, um, have uh, checks arrive in the mail, um, have someone come to you and offer you a new job as opposed to you, um, you know, hitting the pavement and sending your resume out to a hundred places, then you know what? It can totally happen. So remember, please, that you have a choice how this this looks and, quote unquote, how hard you work at it.
0: And how it feels in the process, to your point. Like, Mm -hmm. You can run yourself into the ground and just grind yourself down to the nub, yeah. but there are other possibilities and other ways to get to the same place. Or some, Yeah, you can or take a nap and make money. Yes, Absolutely. I love that. I, for me, it's, I love finding money when I walk. Like when I go for a walk, <laughs> I look for change everywhere and change finds me. And I always think of it, It's when I pick it up, I'm always like, thanks, I'll take more of this. And I'll
1: I'll throw it in my
0: pocket. And I, it always seems to just bring more change.
1: <laughs> that is so great. I feel like the next time I see you, I'm going to, like, throw a quarter on the floor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you'll watch me pick it up. And I feel like a lot of people, like, it always amazed me in New York. Like, people would maybe stop for a quarter, sometimes a dime. But, like, if it was a penny or a nickel, like, people weren't even bothered to bend down. And I was like... That's treating money kind of mean. Why are you doing that? Like you want, you're hustling and like wanting to make all this money and then you won't even just like love up a penny or a nickel. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a sign. There's a sign that money is coming to you. So I don't, yeah, I agree with you. The more you take that, you know, the penny and notice the money that's right in front of you, you're you're going to notice the money in, in bigger ways that are coming right in front of you as well.
0: Yes. And Lori, you said something interesting. You mentioned a word that like is such a trigger word isn't the right word, but it always grabs my attention when I hear it because I hear women struggle with it. And it's the word success. How do you define it for yourself?
1: I like that question. How do I define success? Um, Success is... Um for me, is making a difference and knowing that I've made a difference. Um, seeing the results, um, knowing that I've helped someone or touched a life or um, that what I've done matters. And Um, success is also being well compensated for it paid. Well, it's, it's important to me this year in particular, I've said that I'm going to love money and I'm going to talk about it. And, um, because like you said, with the change you find on the ground, I mean, the greater appreciation and comfort I have around making money, the more money I will make. Um, and so, yeah, so success also includes being well compensated for making a difference in the world.
0: I love that it's both pieces because I think so many women, and I imagine the women that you work with, it must mm-hmm. be live within your calling and do something impactful in the world or make money. It always seems to be mutually exclusive, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and you and I, uh, I you know, all of us are, um, we are showing the way to our clients and customers, or to our families and children, you know, the choices that we make and how the beliefs that we hold on to are showing other people all the time, what is important to us and um, what's possible. And, and so how I am with money is, you know, um, is a message that I'm sending out to other people and the universe of that, if you believe in that.
0: Got it. So, I mean, everything I'm hearing, it sounds like you so walk in integrity or try really hard.
1: I try. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, all
0: the perfectionists listening are probably like,
1: what? (laughs)
0: Yeah. Try. And Lori, I I know the introvert clock has been ticking as we've been talking. (laughs) So I want to be, I want to respect that. But I have... I have a couple of questions that I always like to ask my guests because I think it's important for us to not only talk about what we do and who we are and and what we bring, but also consider what it's like to be a modern woman out in the world and talking about what that is. And I, I, I think through this podcast, I'm building this sonic quilt of like, What are all the different perspectives out there on being a modern woman? So that's where these next few questions are coming from. And I want to ask, now that we've gotten a chance to know you more, how would you define being a modern woman?
1: We have more choices as women than we have ever had before in our culture and society. We have so many more options than our moms and grandmothers and wow, definitely our great grandmothers. And it is amazing to me what the generations before have been able to accomplish with how little opportunity that they had. So I first want to be really grateful for when I'm alive and when, um, as a woman, when I'm alive and the choices that I have, um, and the women who came before me. So I think a modern woman, Um, I would like to think that a modern woman has an appreciation for, um, the unique period of time that she's in. Um, I also, so my answers to all of the, to this question is really about what my hope is. Um, and so my other hope is that modern, the modern woman, um, knows that she can be strong and capable and successful. Um, and make a difference and be well compensated for it, and lift other women up. So there's a good part of the the work that I'm doing now and, and where my my business and my purpose and focus has turned to. And that is that I believe that women do business differently, whether inside an organization or or plotting their own path and working for themselves. Women do business differently. We bring our full selves. We tend to not compartmentalize. We are emotional creatures, and I mean that in the best possible way. We um, we take personally the people, what happens with the people we work with and work for and who work for us. And, um, and I think that makes us even better uh, leaders and mentors, um, and owners, um, and moms. And I also think that for whatever reason in the past, women have learned, I guess I'll say for me, uh, junior high was a really hard time to get through because mean girls really existed. Um, and I feel like a good part of my twenties was, um, hanging out with guys. Cause at least I knew where like uh, I knew I could trust them. I knew that, like, kind of who they were was who they presented, and and women were were difficult and and said things that they didn't really mean, and you always had to read them, and it, it just it seemed like it was a minefield hanging out with women. And um, in recent years, my real focus has been um, allowing women to reconnect with one another and realize that as women, we are the only ones. We are uniquely qualified to understand what it is like to be a woman. So when we get to hang out with just other women, we get to be real. Like we get to talk about our periods. I mean, not that we have to, but like we get to talk about what what um, pregnancy was really like, or what um, what it's like deciding if you even want to have kids. What it's like to um, run a family and and run a, run a business or a team. And I think that only other women can understand this. So I want to believe that as a modern woman, um, we can accept respect, um, and, and lean on other women in our lives because we are so much stronger when we work together and, and, and realize that we're not alone.
0: Yes. My heart is, like, busting open as I hear you say that. And it's, it's funny to hear, like, I had a very similar experience in terms of I was always one of the dudes. I mean, even one of my oldest and dearest guy friends, at some point, like, his wife had said, I forget, like, the, I forget the context, but it, it resulted in his wife saying to me, you know he doesn't even notice that you have boobs, right? <laughs> like that like <laughs> like so many of my male friends just saw me as like she likes music and at the time I could still drink beer and it's like, well she is a real geek about beer. And like yeah. all of these things and she was like, "You know he doesn't even see you as as being a woman. Like you are truly just a dude." And then it's funny because I think I realized like in the first you know, two and a half, maybe even three decades of my life, I felt like I was missing that real feminine energy in my life, and very much like you, I was like, but they don't always say what they mean, and I found that really confusing because I function you know I mean I can be somewhere on the continuum from bristly to direct <laughs> most of the time yeah. yeah yeah, and it was it was baffling so i I I deeply appreciate you shining a light on that and, and just what it means for you to be a modern woman and, and also, you know, your sort of call for, like, what you'd like to see modern women give more of a shit about in life. And that always begs the the, the opposite question for me. And what would you like to see modern women give less of a shit about?
1: What everybody thinks. <laughs> like that isn't, that is a quick one. That is yeah. really easy. Cause, uh, cause I was, uh, so I just, I, I turned 40. Um, and, uh, and I was so talk about bristling. I was so worried at like 38. I was so worried about turning 40, like as if my life would be over as if, uh, nobody would ever look at me again or, you know, that, uh, I would be ugly from that moment on or something, you know, like this awful, like I felt I would fall off a cliff once I, the, my for your, birthday 40, hit. your 40th birthday, you would
0: just get a box of warts for your birthday. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, you know, it was just, I don't know. So, so much worried about sometimes the unknown, right. It can be fearful anyway, but the, it was almost as if like the clock struck 12, On 40 and I was like oh my god I now give less of a shit than I did before (laughs) oh my god I really don't care and and then I thought 50 is gonna be so awesome because I'm gonna give even less of a shit than I do now and then really watch out so yeah so let's all just give all modern women out there let's just give a little less of a shit what everybody else thinks because then you can really kick ass
0: yeah, and for those of you listening in your 20s or even in your 30s, like, I respect your process and you can feel what you want, but I highly encourage you to start, like, practicing being an inner 40-year-old. Like, it really <laughs> is like Lori said. Like, I think, like, I, I from 39 and 11 months old until, like, the moment I turned 40, I sort of was like oh, God, this is going to be a whole nother decade. What's this going to bring? Like, you know, what's... it? 40 seems so old and scary and, like, everything should be all, like, zipped up in your life and I'm totally somewhere different than I thought I would have been, you know, asking my, like, 17 or 21-year-old self or 25 or whatever that random number people is. Whatever that random number is that people use to ask. And it's... It's so funny because really this decade, and I feel like I've said it a few times on this podcast, it's 40 is really like just the fuck it decade where you're like, just who cares about other people's crap? They don't notice. They don't care. They're not looking at my life as closely as I
1: think. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's also give props to the, um, if I can even say that, Props to um, the the twenty year olds and the millennials because uh, seriously they're, they're so much further ahead in terms of not giving a shit. Like they're so yes. much clearer about who they are, and so um, so yeah. I, I think that uh, you don't have to wait till you're forty because I think you're further ahead already.
0: Yes, very tr- very very good point. And Lori, before we let you crawl back into bed and pull the covers up. <laughs> What do you most want Core salon listeners to know? I know we've gone all over the place in our conversation, but if you could leave them with one gift, like what would it be?
1: So I feel like we've, you know, we've talked so much about my brain tumor and kind of like the hard lessons. And um, I think what you need to know is that there's this, you know, I mentioned kind of unicorns and and dance parties and uh, magical pens. And there's... I think the thing that most people know about me is that there's that that you can be both. you can be silly and serious, you can get shit done and also have a really good time doing it, and you don't have to give up one in order to get the other um, and yeah i gotta I gotta believe that as well for everyone who's listening that you get to be all aspects of yourself at all times in the day and you don't have to change for anybody else in your life. And it's not your fault that other things, you know, that, that things happen and that, uh, the people who are supposed to love you don't exactly or that, um, yeah, anyway, it's, it's not your fault and, uh, you get to enjoy life the way you enjoy life. And, um, Yeah, let there be magic. Let there be magic. That's pretty much what I believe. And hugs. (laughs) I know we didn't even get to hugs. That's right. They'll have to read more. Yes. You'll have to read up on my hug tours.
0: Yes. And read your books. And I guess, Lori, if women listening feel inspired by your story and want to learn more, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: So on my website, I um, give you a little taste of both of my books. If you uh, if you sign up on my website to receive, you'll receive both a synopsis from or a, um, a chapter from both of the books. Uh, my first book is a memoir. It's very much about um, kind of when my life took that turn. And it's called I'm Scared and Doing It Anyway. And my second book, uh, which came out more recently, and it's um, it's my client stories. It's my most successful clients through the years as a coach and how they really reinvented themselves and enjoyed life doing it. So it's, um, it's called simply leap seven lessons on facing fear and enjoying the crap out of your life. Um, and it has a cupcake on the cover, which is so awesome. So, uh, yeah, so my website has info on both of those books. If you sign up on my website, you get, um, a free chapter from both. And you also get this fun, um, worksheet and video on, um, how to start figuring out what you're supposed to really be doing um, and not just what you've been doing.
0: Amazing. And I want to encourage all of you to check out Lori's work. It, like I said, at the very top of the interview, I really, as I was reading it, I was just vibrating. I, I felt like there was a kinship there that I was going to have to catch Lori up on <laughs> and, But her story is amazing. The work that she's doing is amazing. And from what I've seen just in the handful of months that I've lived here in the Hudson Valley and seen Lori doing her thing and connecting women, she really, really, truly is walking her talk. Like, this isn't some website that someone copywrote for. This is who she is. And I really encourage you to check out everything she's up to. And Lori. Thank you so much for taking time to be here. Did we did we beat the introvert clock today?
1: <laughs> we're all good. We're all good. we're all good. I'm You're not going to like down right now, but we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Kara. It has been so great talking to you, and you are so good about asking questions.
0: Thank you, thank you, and thanks again for all your time, your energy, and showing up in the world and making an impact. It makes me happy cuz sometimes I wonder if I'm doing this alone and it makes me happy to know I have other sisters out there that are doing this work too.
1: Gosh, major kindred spirits. Yeah, I feel
0: it. Too. <laughs> cool. Well, I hope that today brings you sunshine, quiet, and lots of magical pens.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh. And I hope you find a dime in the next hour. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Lori. Take
0: care. Hey everyone, thanks for sticking around to the very end of this interview. I really appreciate you being here and do hope you'll return to the Vital Core Salon. And I just wanted to remind everyone listening that you can find all of the links and resources mentioned in this episode over at levitalcoresalon.com. That's L-E-V-I-T-A-L-C-O-R-P-S-S-A-L-O-N.com. I I know, not the most user-friendly name, but please bear with me. And just a heads up, new shows are going to be out on the second and fourth Wednesdays of each month, but if you don't want to have to remember that fact, the easiest things you can do are, and I have two options for you. One is to subscribe to this podcast in iTunes so that it automatically gets delivered to your phone and you have it whenever you're ready. And the other option is signing up for the email newsletter, which you can find at the same website. And not only will you get some health and lifestyle goodies, but you will also be notified when podcasts roll out. And also what's going on with the 33K project. And I usually always have a couple of resources, things that I'm loving on, that you can either digest mentally or physically. Before I skedaddle for the day, I just want to give a huge thank you to a couple people. And one is Craig Snyder, my producer and husband. For those of you who weren't sure who Craig is that I sometimes talk about in these these podcasts. I just want to thank him for all of his hard work behind the scenes. And especially for making my guests and I sound great. You know, he pulls all these audio tracks together and he's playing with all sorts of levels and doing stuff that kind of scares the hell out of me. Just looking at GarageBand freaks me out some days. And I... I have these anxiety dreams often the night before that I record a podcast that I'm going to forget to hit record and it's all just going to go to shit. So he's such a rock in this process and always makes things sound great and helps with some of the technology stuff behind the scenes and does it so effortlessly and easy, or at least that's how it looks from the outside looking in. So big thanks to Craig. You know, definitely... Give him a shout-out on Twitter. He's Craig B. Snyder. Let him know you're digging the podcast and really appreciate his effort. And also, I always want to thank Rishi Deer of Elephant Stone for writing such a kick-ass track and letting me use it for this podcast theme song. And I also want to thank The High Dials for performing it. It's just such a love, and I... I deeply love Psych Rock and what they're all contributing in that space and that they shared it so generously with me. So anyways, I guess I'm I'm sort of emo today, but um, thanks for being here again. And don't forget, you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Yes, I am talking to you. And don't let the burnout or bullshit slow you down. Check you later.